Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Blast from the Past, our series where we take interviews with former members of Congress. Today, we're honored to have our special guest, Congressman Frank Lobiondo, who represented New Jersey's 2nd Congressional District from 1995 to 2019. Uh, and we're very happy to have you with us today. Welcome, Congressman. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm happy to be with you. All right, so we're going to start with, uh, I'll ask my first question, and Armin and I will be alternating questions to you. Uh, so my first question is, how did your service in the State Assembly in New Jersey prepare you to run for Congress, and what drove you to continue your political career by running for the U.S. House? So it actually starts a little bit before that, where uh, I was working in our family business, helping to run it, and the home county, my home county, Cumberland County, uh, had a serious, serious uh, downturn in 1980 with the glass bottle uh, plants closing and a recession. So I got involved with local government and that was sort of my, uh, at the county level, they've just changed the name from freeholder to commissioners this year. Uh, but that sort of uh, taught me the need to work together and you can have really good ideas, but if you can't convince others that you've got a good idea. And I was in the minority on the freeholder board at that time. Um, I really didn't have much of an intention to run for uh, anything else, but the sitting assemblyman at the time uh, came to me a couple of weeks before filing deadline and said that he thought that I should run. Now he was from Cape May County. Uh, I was from Cumberland County. Um, and when I said, you know, this sort of doesn't make sense because you're very popular. He explained that he had cancer. He thought it was in remission. He came back from the doctor. Uh, so I had about two weeks to decide. But serving in the assembly was another very good lesson about um, trying to get things done, working with others that are like-minded and being able to work with those who maybe are not like-minded into explaining your position and why it's a good idea to move forward with. So you had constituent services, which was a part of uh, serving in the state legislature, which was very important uh, for Congress as well. And it was, um, I don't want to say the Farm League, but it was uh, a good precursor to understanding how to do things in Congress. Thank you. Uh, Armin, you can ask your first question. Yeah, so uh, thank you very much again, Congressman Lobiondo, for doing this interview. But uh, uh, so you were in the House for quite some time, uh, and I was wondering uh, what committee assignments were you particularly fond of during your House tenure? Well, let me start off with the ones that I wasn't particularly fond of, and that's uh, starting as a freshman, you don't generally have a lot of choice. And um, I really wanted transportation to start off with because that was my background. Uh, I was either the only member or one of the only members of Congress who had a commercial driver's license, a CDL. Uh, I helped run the family trucking business. I felt I could make a better contribution there, but I was a sought after committee and I was assigned to banking and financial services. Um, I learned a lot, but it was not very interesting. So as soon as I had the chance uh, uh, and after a term was able to move to transportation and also receive an appointment to the armed services committee. Uh, so they were two very important committees. I, on armed services, one of my subcommittees was special threats and terrorism, which had quite a few um, classified briefings, but it became frustrating because those briefings were cut off 
And as I wanted to try to learn more about the issue we were dealing with or the problem we were dealing with, and this is, this is especially at the time of uh, the war on terror was, was maybe more to peak than it is now with decisions to be made, I wanted the House Intelligence Committee. Now that's a direct pick of the speaker and not the steering committee that the other uh, assignments um, took care of. But um, it took a while, but I finally made it to the Intelligence Committee. Uh, I was thrilled with that committee. It tied things together with armed services. Um, and I was even more thrilled when I had the opportunity to chair the CIA committee um, and give me a chance to get into the field to talk to our CIA station chiefs and teams uh, in some pretty remote parts of the world to find out uh, with the authorization that we had to do every year, what programs are working, what programs are not working. Um, so the committee assignments played a big part in um, my motivation in Congress. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. So my second question for you pertains to your service in Congress as well. And it is, as a former member of the Republican Main Street Partnership, how important do you think it is that Republicans continue to work toward the center to accomplish bipartisan policymaking? And there's a small follow-up if you'd like to answer it. And it's, uh, what's an instance in which you've worked with members of the other side of the aisle to accomplish something that you're proud of? So I think it's extremely important to find the middle ground. Um, anything good and big that has happened while I was there or even before I was there, and I think it's gonna hold true now, is that you had to reach a compromise. It wasn't one party pushing a square peg in a round hole. Uh, you have to be able to convince your colleagues. You have to be able to work to the middle. Uh, if you look at the nation overall, uh, for the most part, we're a, a, a tick to the right or a tick to the left, but pretty much in the middle. And uh, individual members represent their districts, and I guess their views reflect what they think their districts look like. But for me, from uh, the rural part of New Jersey and New Jersey's demographic makeup, uh, I found it very rewarding to work with the other side of the aisle and like-minded colleagues in Republican Main Street to be able to advance ideas that I think were, uh, were good for the country and good for my district. Now, the second part of your question was, uh, what again? Uh, it was uh, an instance, a uh, bipartisan instance of you accomplishing something you're proud of in the House. Sure. Um, that goes to when I was a relatively new member of Congress. And we had a uh, real tragedy in our district where a corrections officer was um, Officer Fred Baker at a state prison. Uh, was stabbed in the back by an inmate. And at that point in time, uh, law enforcement was not receiving protective vest, uh, commonly referred to now as bulletproof vest. And I joined with uh, a congressman from Indiana, a Democrat, Peter Voskoski. We developed a great friendship. Uh, we worked together to get this through the House and eventually uh, signed by President Clinton and that was an early opportunity to understand how well that works. It wouldn't have worked if I had done it on my own. And since we were in the majority, it wouldn't have worked if he did it in, on his own. So, uh, and that's a piece of legislation that we know saves lives. Um, we can tell for sure there are a lot of things that have to go into law enforcement being safe, but that's one that definitely saves lives. Thank you very much, uh, Armin. 
I know you have a question that's similar in, uh, in tone to what I just asked, but it's, it's slightly different. So if you want to ask that. Yeah, so clearly you are, you know, big on bipartisanship and you're one of the most bipartisan members of the House. So how do you think, you know, with all of the stuff that's going on now on both sides of the aisle, how do you think we can best reduce congressional polarization? Oh, I sure wish I had a really good answer to that question. Uh, it seems that it's gotten worse. And uh, the longer I was in Congress, the tougher it became. And now it's, uh, in many respects, extremely difficult. Um, I think members have to make up their mind in order to get things done that they're not going to get 100% of what they want. Uh, a member's got to come to the conclusion that you've got to be able to say yes and not let the uh, good be sacrificed by the perfect. Um, that if you've got an idea, you've got to work with colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And I, I think the frustration that will arise from members not being able to get things done, if they don't follow that path, maybe we'll convince them that, you know, they've got to take a different path. But it's very difficult because they reflect the, what they believe are the views of their district. And in some districts, you know, you can't say the word compromise. And that's a shame because the country loses out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so my third question relates to another big aspect that I personally really admire about your service in the House, and that's your uh, dedication to constituent service. Uh, so the question pertains to Hurricane Sandy, and I was uh, wondering, could you talk about your role in procuring disaster relief funding? Because I know that was something you really pushed for after the incident in Congress and initially didn't receive uh, a lot of support for, but really brought attention to it. Well, uh, thanks for that question. That, that was a really big issue for, for my district and for the state of New Jersey and really the Northeast. And uh, I want to find the right adjective to say how shocked I was when a natural disaster that hit New Jersey and New York uh, was not handled by other, uh, like other natural disasters were handled. Uh, from the time of the, you know, the country's inception, when a tornado hit, when a hurricane hit, you know, uh, we all got together, we supported wherever it was. And for the first time in history, I think, we had opposition, and I'm sorry to say it was mostly from the Republicans. Some of them were my good friends. And, um, you know, I dubbed them the hypocrisy caucus, because when a natural disaster hit their district, uh, they, insisted that we give the help necessary for people to get over the disaster and get back on their feet. But now that wasn't good enough for New Jersey and New York. So um, I joined with a couple of colleagues, Peter King mainly, uh, and there were a number of others. And we worked member to member uh, to explain our position and why it was important. And I reminded uh, colleagues that uh, there was going to be a time, and if you take a look at my little floor speech, uh, the one day when I got up on Sandy, you know, I congratulated them, uh, the ones from Florida, because they weren't going to have any more hurricanes. And I congratulated the ones from, you know, LA and California, because they weren't going to have any more natural disasters out there, which obviously was not the case. It was, you know, it was trying to poke fun at them for uh, what they were uh, trying to do to us. So, we were there for uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day uh, that particular year. And uh, sorry about that. 
uh, two watchdogs here. Got, uh, no problem. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, so, so anyhow, we had a, uh, a Congress that was about ready to switch from one session to another, where we had a lot of members lined up. And at that point, Speaker John Baker Boehner had promised that we would have a vote in the current session of Congress. And what ended up happening was uh, it was carried over to the new Congress. So we had a whole group of new members who were going to be voting that we hadn't had a chance to work member to member. Uh, ultimately, it turned out okay. Um, we had a good a good team together, and I kidded folks that I kept a laminated list of those who decided that New Jersey wasn't good enough to help. Um, but those are the things you have to work through, and that was a big deal for our constituents. Thank you. Uh, Armin, do you want to ask your final question? Yeah, so uh, obviously, uh, South Jersey historically has had a mix of Democrats and Republicans representing it. But now uh, you have Andy Kim in the third district. Uh, you were in the second district. Uh, former Congressman Tom MacArthur is in the third district. And now you have Democrat turned Republican Jeff Van Drew, who's had electoral success there in, in that area as well. So what do you think the future of Republicans in South Jersey looks like over the course of the next decade is my question. Well, I'd like to think that it's a good picture because we have good ideas and uh, we provide representation that people appreciate for solving problems and doing constituent services. Um, if we look to uh, the local governments, which uh, are sort of the, the groundwork for what happens at a higher level, uh, we saw a flip um, last time around of the first legislative district uh, that I served in when I was there that Van Drew had led the Democratic team for a number of years. And it was a shock to everybody uh, that the Republicans swept the first legislative district. And I think that bodes well for, for things to come. Chris Brown, uh, who was elected the senator in the second legislative district, uh, which is mostly Atlanta County, uh, was not given a chance. And there was uh, an, an incredible amount of money, something like three or four million dollars thrown in by uh, the Democratic machine from outside the county to make sure he wasn't elected. He worked very hard. Uh, he does a great job with constituent services, uh, representing the people. Uh, he's not, you know, hard right or, you know, he doesn't have a particular philosophy other than helping people. So I think with examples like that, um, we've got a bright future. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And uh, that concludes our questioning in the interview. So again, uh, thank you for watching this episode of Blast from the Past. And uh, we appreciate, we're very happy to have had Congressman Frank Lobiondo on our show. We appreciate it.